Welcome to Destination CMO, a podcast about growth, business, and the power of marketing. With your host, Vincent Famvan, a three-time chief marketing officer, member of the Forbes Communication Council, and a 40 Under 40 award recipient. On this show, we invite our guests to share the most important stories happening today in business and tech, told through the lens of a senior marketing leader. If you enjoy this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Our guest today is Latney Cotton, and she is the CMO at Sixth Sense. As a CMO, she's passionate about empowering marketing leaders with effective technology, predictive insights, and thought leadership so that they can confidently lead their teams, their companies, their industries into the future. She's also a recovering software saleswoman. I am also a recovering software salesman. And she's keenly focused on leveraging data to ensure that marketing programs result in deals, not just leads, which is ultimately the goal of what we're trying to do. She's also an active member of a larger CMO community. She leads the Empowered CMO Network, an organization that's focused on empowering women to realize their full potential. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks, Vincent. It's always fun to get to talk with folks like you that are so connected. And, and getting the word out on on what it means to be a CMO. It's the best because throughout my career, I can name the people who have like made an imprint and left a mark. And some of them were official quote unquote mentors and others were just people that I asked for help when I didn't know what to do. And so I love this format and I really appreciate your time as we kind of give it back and we pay it back to all the people who have helped us throughout our career. When you were early in your career, actually as like a teenager, if you were to ask like, what do you want to be when you grew up? What was that for you? And what's the path you ended up taking? I thought I wanted to be a heart surgeon. <laughs> That's very different. <laughs> I loved biology. I just loved biology. And so I thought that I wanted to be a heart surgeon, but I have like horrible coordination. I mean, uh -huh. I would I, I like I can't even make a stitch. So it would not have been good. So you end up taking all these turns. I call myself the accidental CMO because then I decided, well, since I'm not too steady with my hands, why don't I go into business? And so then I went into accounting, but I happened to be dyslexic. So that was also an impediment to being a great auditor where you have to check every number and make sure it's right. So I ended up in consulting and I ended up in sales. And then here I am just loving every day as a marketer. So when you become an accidental CMO, what is the day-to-day -day like for you? And in that role, what are the traits? What are the passions that have helped you do that accidentally? Last week, I was talking to a fellow CMO, who's now been promoted to be a GM, and I'm so proud of him. We were chatting and he said, you have so much energy. How do you like stay this amped all the time? And I thought about it for a second. And then, you know, for me, it's learning. I am so amped all the time because I feel like every day I'm learning something new and getting to, I thrive on the variety that uh -huh. I think being a CMO offers, you know, just this morning, I was knee deep in a spreadsheet, 
looking at some spend ratios and if I thought those were right. And then I went and I talked to a customer and talked about how they were using our products and how I thought that he could better optimize his tech stack. Then I did an all hands and Ray Raw and, and then I did some one-on-ones and now here I am with you. So like, it's just, you never know what's going to happen. And I love that. But I think that the background for me, and I see it in budding CMOs, right? Future CMOs is that consulting mindset. And so you learn how to be a great consultant. And it's about doing research. So seeing patterns, it's about doing discovery interviews, like a great discovery interview to get the lay of the land. It's like getting your hands dirty to figure out the pattern and then taking a step back. And even if it's an area you don't know a lot about, because a lot of times as a consultant, you get thrown in and they say that you're an expert and you're like, I've really never done this, right? But you're able to kind of think on your feet and creatively say, okay, based on these patterns, Da, 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 and then confidently make recommendations and then rally people behind you. In marketing, a lot of the organization you need to work with and they don't report to you. So how do you lobby them and rally them to get excited about the lightning strike you want to do or the way you want to do the product launch or just even they need to tag their opportunities so you get credit? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, little things and big things, you got to be yeah. able like rally, like paint the vision and rally people around that and use data and stories to get it there. And then just a willingness to like put yourself out there and take initiative. If you have a roadblock and then you stop and you ask for help, you're probably not going to be that successful in marketing because you're always like forging new paths through the forest and cutting down trees and the most well-worn trails are sometimes the most, not the most lucrative or because once everyone's doing it, it's not really the thing anymore. You know what I mean? So you have to be willing to kind of pave the path. That makes so much sense. And like in terms of taking partners and collaborating and to your point, like the, a lot of the people that you need to be able to influence in order for you to be successful, don't report to you. And only in some very specific, like early stage companies is the head of sales and the head of marketing the same person. And to your point, the best marketing material is the material that the sales team is actually using. What have you seen have been the biggest challenges with sales and marketing alignment? And how do you see that landscape changing as we head into next year? So I think there's three big areas where things break down. The first is focus. And so you have to be very aligned, not just with sales, but also with product and customer success on who is your ideal customer and who are you going after and how many accounts fit that profile and how does that match your growth plans? Mm -hmm. So if the growth plans say we have to do X many deals and you're looking at the ICP and there it's not big enough, then you know you got a problem. Then you got to work with product on product market fit and expanding the ICP. So it's all this big equation that I think sometimes people really miss. And so what ends up happening is sales gets the plan, assigns territories, and the territories are terrible. They're not winnable accounts. And then sales is frustrated at marketing and marketing is saying, there's not a lot I can do. These aren't winnable accounts. These aren't good accounts for us. So it starts with alignment on the segmentation of accounts that you're going to go after, why you're going to win. 
And the sooner you do that, actually, rather than wait for it to get assigned to sales, it should be the exact opposite. It should get assigned to marketing first. So I should be warming up new areas of the ICP, which is how we do it here, before we then assign. And so a lot of times that gets sideways, I've seen, and account selection is everything, in my opinion. So that's a big area that takes a lot of cross-functional alignment. The second area where people fall down is around their metrics. And, you know, oh, I've been at this a while now across a couple companies. And I don't want to say I've perfected because nothing is ever perfect, but I think I'm in a really good place with my metrics. And what's shocking to me is how few people follow this kind of approach. And I'll walk you through it. So basically what I do is I take the bookings plan. And where those are supposed, and by segment, upsell and net new, I look at by segment all of the historical conversions and ASPs and cycle times. And I work backwards to figure out how much, based on that, how much pipeline needs to be created every month. And I don't care if marketing generates it or sales generates it or BDRs generate it. I'm just, first of all, trying to figure out how much do we need to create by when, by segment. Then I dissect and say, okay, well, this segment, this is probably the best way we're going to generate pipeline here. And I make some allocations. And all of the assumptions around the win rates are right in my dashboard for me to see. And so what this does is it's a controlled process where Every day, my team, a couple times a day, is looking at our pipeline metrics, but also looking at our conversion metrics. So if we're crushing our pipeline metrics, but our conversion is red, then actually what that means is our pipeline quotas aren't right anymore. And so it flags red. So we know, okay, we got to go help with win rates, or we got to go help with cycle times, or we got to go help with ASP. So it creates this ultimate balance between sales and marketing. Marketing is primarily on the hook to help make sure we have enough pipeline. But if we have enough pipeline, it's so directly correlated to the win rates and the other things that we're also going to be making sure we don't pass a bunch of junk through the system. So it's this checks and balances. And it's highly visible. Anyone in the company can go and see at any time how we're doing. And it flashes red, yellow, green. And so it's just easy to know, oh, this is where we need to work. And red is good. Red means that you know where you need to go and work. The worst is yellow because then what are we up or down? So I'm always trying to find and isolate things that aren't working because then we can go be proactive. It's the consultant in me. Yeah, And we can go spin up a project to fix it. So one is focus, two is metrics, and then three is execution. And I think that for as long as sales and marketing has existed, there's been this execution gap. And what I mean is marketing goes, let's take an example of a webinar. We go, we schedule it, we find a customer, or maybe we work with an analyst, we put together this awesome content, we prep a bunch of times, we go, we market the hell out of it to get all of these people to show up, we run a great webinar, we've got polls, we've got this, it's all, everything's all good, and then it ends, and we send four emails like, hey, hope you had a good webinar, do you want to maybe meet with us, and then we pass it to sales. And 
that is not, it's like not ready enough for sales to work, but we're exhausted and we feel like our job is done. And so it falls into this execution wasteland. Yeah. You're handing off a baton, but nobody's taking it. Nobody's taking it. And I can name a mill. The webinar is just one example. A lot of times the typical MQLs are that, or get driving people to events or following up from events, or it's this constant and it grows and it grows. And so what I'm really focused on right now is that there is gold in there and fixing that and using actually AI-based email or conversational email, which is a relatively new product to be able to help us mind that gap because it just causes frustration. But you can see both sides. I'm exhausted from running the webinar and they're like, this isn't ready. So if we can find a way to use AI and use almost like a bot to do the follow-up and to help schedule the meeting and to get them to the right content and to fill that gap, I mean, we've already had so much success. It's crazy. Within weeks, the webinar example, 1.4 million in pipeline from a webinar that would have been zero. So those are my three. Focus on the right accounts, have the right metric system with checks and balances. And then I think the execution gap is the next frontier of kind of where I'm going. What's really interesting, because you didn't inherently say it, but in order to do all of those things well, focus, metrics, and the execution, the relationship between both the leaders and the teams and the culture within like the overarching organization has to be healthy. As a CMO, often you're kind of an octopus to align everyone Mm -hmm. and it all needs to work. You got to have great people. People build great products. Products have to align to the market, which by the way, that's your job. Salespeople need to be enabled. You need to be able to service customers and then amplify their success. So anyway, I think that first team mentality is really important. And I tell my direct reports, their teams are not their teams. They're each other's first team. I'm like, I'm not going to be here to work things out all the time. So you guys decide how you want to divvy the budget up or what programs are the most important to run. So I think that's just a good mentality to have. And then the other thing I would say is like, your power comes in marketing, not from the ing, but from the market. And so the more in tune you are, with the market and where the market is going and making sure your company is well positioned vis-a-vis the market needs, that's going to make you just a power source within your company and the industry. And it's going to pay your bills because when you look at why companies fail and you think about these super hot companies and you're like, is it their marketing? Is it their sales? Is it their, it's a lot of times they have awesome product market fit. You cannot escape great product market fit. You can have the most amazing salespeople and I can have the coolest customer events and the coolest campaigns, but ultimately like product market fit is where you kind of become a leader or not. And so I think having that be your first priority as a CMO is really, really, really important because that everything, that's the tide that lifts all boats, so to speak. So things like win-loss programs, things like analyst relations, things like really digging into win rates, things like competitive intelligence, all like just so, so, so critical and value add to the business. As you take a look at 
your team, different teams, what are the trends that you see happening when it comes to leadership and influence across different teams? I think that every leadership team is struggling with connectivity and new ways of creating connectivity. It's interesting because I'm at Sixth Sense now, and before I was at a company called Aperio, and we, Aperio, we ran all in the cloud. We were like cloud consultants and we were all remote and this was pre-COVID and this and that. And so maybe I'm just more, more used to it, but I think figuring out organizational culture and ways of working is something that every leadership team and ways of motivating that are just really critical now. And I think what's kind of even more interesting is we were coming off this time of like supreme abundance and people weren't very happy. And now we're in this time of more of a lack of abundance. But I think it's going to be interesting because I think that it'll force some choices and it'll force focus. And I bet people will actually be happier and more connected. So that's just a prediction. You know, we'll see. But as we face a different economic environment, that need for focus, that need for rallying around big bets, not doing every campaign, doing the big, meaningful ones, focusing on the right accounts, like I talked about, you know, maybe not, maybe shutting down segments that don't perform that well so that you can go after the ones that are the best fit for you. Those kind of choices suck. But ultimately, people want to feel like they're doing something meaningful and big, not a bunch of little, especially in marketing. I think, you know, no one wants to work on like the little small campaigns that don't yield a lot. So the more we get to those, you know, big, bad ones, everyone's working on together. Like, that's fun. That feels good. That feels meaningful. So we're going through a process right now where we're literally inspecting every function. We already benchmark. We do a lot of benchmarking. But we're doing just a start, stop, continue, basic. Like, let's find some stuff to stop doing that's not working. So sometimes you have to say no to say yes. Yeah. And ultimately, those are arguably decisions that should have been made even without the economic landscape. But I think it's a good reminder of kind of going back to basics and evaluating that off of exactly what you were saying earlier, focus metrics and execution and using that framework to evaluate these start stop decisions. And in some instances, there could be this big thing over here that never got off the ground. And that framework actually might make sense to be a new focus. Yeah. Or that execution wasteland. Like, let's Mm -hmm. just get after that. Anyway. So, yeah. So we're kind of in the space right now where analysts and everybody are saying a recession is coming. There have been some market corrections. You know, VC funding has really shifted. Companies that are currently actively fundraising are seeing that they're seeing a different capital market. What are the things that leaders can do today to go into whatever the next period is prepared and how do they approach that budget and allocation of resources? So I tell my team and the way I think about it, I've operated under zero-based budgeting, which is horrible. So I'm not saying I want to have to operate under zero-based budgeting again, (laughs) for the record. But adopting a zero-based budget mindset is not such a bad idea. And what do I mean by that? So where budget's made, typically there's some revenue projection and then based on your size and your industry, 
sales and marketing are a percentage of revenue, essentially. And then you share a wallet with sales. So you need to think about your priorities there. And then you get some sort of ratio and chunk of money, right? And you can kind of divvy it up top down that way. So that's one way to look at it. And you should always know your ratios and you should know best in class for your quartile and your industry so you don't get over your skis. No matter what the CFO gives you, you should try to stay, in my opinion, best in class. Then there's the bottoms up, which is, well, this is what we did last year. <laughs> Start with that and then maybe tweak or this or that. And so that's another way to look at it. And that's important to do too. But then this third way, which is the zero based, which is assume you have no money and you have to go create this amount of results. How do you create that those results? And you have to prove every investment needs to tie out to some sort of ROI, essentially. Now, it gets way weird. The reason I would say not to, that it doesn't work across the board is it starts to get way weird when you look at like some technology spend or some, you know what I mean? It's like Marketo. Well, I don't know. Like, how do you put an ROI on market? I mean, it just is. Or your website. Like, you know what I mean? There's some things that. So the way I typically apply it, though, is you can look at your big chunks of program spend and start to say, what's the yield? What's and then just stack rank. And so I've done that. I've always done that. And I don't know, it's like cleaning out your closet. It feels great to like give away the shirt that like never quite looked right on you. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, that event that you're like, why do we show up at this thing every year? But it never <laughs> that great. <laughs> I'm laughing because in my past life, I definitely know that event. It's like the event that nobody wants to go to before the event, but it's just like, we already paid for it the year before. Yeah, and they, it, they bamboozled us <laughs> and now we're stuck with it. And there's always a way out of everything. <laughs> so, but anywho, yes, that's what I'm talking about is making yeah. sure we just, we purge some of that. Yeah, I think it's really great. And you bring up some of the technology spend and sometimes the technology investment might've made sense in a past year and it still might make sense now, but maybe it was poorly implemented or maybe it was poorly executed on and we're not getting the return, like some of it could just be resetting and going, okay, well, let's strip this out. Let's re-implement it and actually make sure that we're using it in the way that it's intended. I want to make sure that we touch on your latest book. So there's a new book out, No Forms, No Spam, No Cold Calls, The Next Generation of Account-Based Sales and Marketing. So congratulations on getting that book across the finish line. Like, Tell me a little bit about like the inspiration for this book. Well, I'm also an accidental author. <laughs> <laughs> Because one of the reasons I was an accounting major was I never wanted to write a paper. <laughs> so I did definitely never thought I would turn out a book. But what happened was I started at Sixth Sense and the amount of data and insights that we had, because we obviously had the Sixth Sense platform, blew my mind. You know, we know when an account is in market. We know the things that they care about. We know who's on the buying team. We know if they're a good fit for us or not a good fit. Like we're just sitting on so much insights. And at Aperio, we were all about customer experience. That was our revolutionizing customer experience. And I really believe that companies that invest in customer experience will lead. And, and so I started looking around and I'm like, okay, we have all these insights. Mm -hmm. I really believe in customer experience, but when I look at the prospect experience, the typical prospect experience that B2B delivers, it's horrendous. 
And so do we have to operate this way anymore? Like we don't need to run our experience off of 1990s MarTech anymore. And so I had this epiphany and I came into the team and I'm like, guys, we have a new project. It's called Project Bold Moves. (laughs) And Project Bold Moves is we're going to set the standard for prospect experience and we're going to not require forms for educational content. We're going to be very thoughtful about our emails and what we deem as a correct way to email. I didn't take email away. And phone calls, yes, we still have phones at Sixth Sense, but what is a relevant phone call? What's a warm call? And those are going to be our values. Our values are prospect experience and no forms, no spam, no cold calls. Let's figure it out. Boom. One lady cried, another lady quit, <laughs> but the <laughs> ones that survived, survived. And we took it. And we did it and we used insights and we've used data to really be able to deliver on those values. And lo and behold, 100% growth year over year with an industry leading CAC, we were talking about CAC earlier, it kind of works. And so I started trying to tell people about what we were doing. And I would write these long emails about how we did it. And I would attach a template and I would send them PowerPoints. And I was like, oh my God, I need to put this all in one place. Like this is so inefficient. And so the putting it all in one place ended up me writing the book more as a field guide than anything else. So if you look at it, there's a lot of pictures, there's a lot of templates, there's a lot of stories. They say you write the book you wish you had. And I really wish I had had this kind of a field guide for B2B, modern B2B sales and marketing. I think You're spot on in terms of even like who the buyers are becoming as different generations change and you're having these digitally native individuals start reaching these senior marketing roles, director roles, where they are part of the buying decision, the way they consume content is just fundamentally different. And, you know, the B2B marketer that solely relies on white papers and webinars today and the traditional stack as communication preferences change and as effectiveness changes, you know, you have such an ability now to dial in to the exact person at the exact right time that you don't have to bother somebody who's not at that buying stage. And not at the buying stage. And then like, I mean, think about it. What if you went to read the reviews on a product and they said, you can't read the reviews until you put it, give it as your agent. (laughs) I mean, you would think that was ridiculous, right? Yeah. So it's not like a lot of times we're literally doing our personal and our work stuff on the same computer. So it's not like, you know, so it's like, why aren't we bringing more of these experiences and educating people along the way? So, yeah, I mean, I can obviously talk on this all day, but, and I think the key thing when I talk to B2B marketers and sellers about it is It's not altruistic. I mean, I believe in a great experience, but it also works. And we see time and time again when people follow the framework, the place that it materializes back to the numbers is, yes, in pipeline, but much more healthy pipeline. So they see two times better ASPs. They see 30% faster cycle times and 20% better conversions. And back to efficiency, that is your efficiency model. I mean, you want to grow efficiently, like those are the metrics and the levers that that you pull to do that. 
So yeah, it's been quite a fun journey, writing the book originally, getting it out originally, seeing how many people highlighted it and sent me messages and have implemented successful programs. And then we just came out with the revised and updated version to add a sales chapter. That was something I felt like I had missed. And so our CRO actually has added a chapter in this revised version, which is great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. If somebody wants to follow you, connect with you, we're going to put your LinkedIn profile up on the screen. Any parting words for our audience? No, just proceed with confidence. That's our big campaign right now. And we've got to just, I think, focus, look at our data, use our data, and be confident that we're going to figure it out. Such great advice to end up on. Thank you so much again for joining me today. It's been a pleasure, and I hope the rest of your day is really great. Bye. Thanks, Vincent. All right. Take care. This has been Destination CMO, hosted by Vincent Famfan. Because marketing careers are often highly specialized and rarely linear, Destination CMO invites senior marketers to share stories and insights from their professional journey. If you liked this episode, join the community by following us on social media. We have links to all our platforms in the show notes. And join us next time for the most important stories in business and tech, explained through the lens of a senior marketer. Thanks for listening to Destination CMO. This podcast is produced by Caroline Pickens and the team at Fresh Picked Studio. For more information, go to freshpickedstudio.com.